Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani, host of this show. And just a reminder, everything I talk about is not to be mistaken for actual medical advice or treatment and is intended to be for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your medical treatment. So this is what we call a special episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. And uh, it's special and it really hits uh, my heart. It probably will hit yours too if you are among those who this episode is about or if you know someone that the subject of this episode touches upon uh, or if you're in somehow related in some way, which I believe you are, because it is about childhood sexual abuse and some of it is about sexual abuse in general. It doesn't have to happen in childhood, but this is a special episode because I have someone with me today that uh, knows about this stuff. She has been through some things in her life, and this is also something that I've been wanting to talk about for quite some time. I'm going to play you the interview that I had with someone that you probably recognize. Before you play this, if you have kids that listen to this episode, it's going to be a deep and sometimes dark subject and words are going to come up that your kids may ask you about they may chuckle at they may not know (laughs) depending on how you taught them and depending on how young your children are and um i want to give you a choice if you are a parent and you know your kids are listening i want to give you a choice to listen to this episode first and then have them listen or have them listen with you knowing that i do my best to keep the subject matter um, as clean as possible and to talk about things in a way that um, is mature and real and sometimes raw. So if I had kids, yes, I would let them listen. If uh, you have kids, this is your choice. So what I'm telling you is that, uh, first of all, there's no cursing in this episode. But um, if your kids are are listening now, talking about sexual abuse can be a heavy subject. So If you've never discussed the birds and the bees with your kids, this episode might lead to that subject. So I'm just giving you this warning. This is your opportunity to press stop and listen on your own and then talk about it with your kids or not. And I know some kids are tuning into this without anyone knowing they're listening. And if you're one of those kids and you've been listening a while, then you probably have one of those advanced brains. So what I want you to do before we start, is find a safe place, first of all, in your physical environment, and also find a safe place in your mind. And when I say that, I mean, where do you go when you need to feel safe? In my mind, if I need to feel safe, I'm probably at a lake, at a beach. I'm usually by myself, but there can be other people around as long as those people are safe. I've worked with clients that have had some sort of um, animal with them. I have clients that, you know, bring in a dragon. (laughs) I feel safer with a dragon. Whatever it is for you, I just want you to imagine someplace safe. Because if you do get triggered, I want you to go to that safe place. You know, stop the recording, go to that safe place and just be there for a while. And also know that I'm not going to leave you in that, in any dark spaces that, that might trigger you. So if you get triggered by this, just know that your trigger is a message that there is something coming up that either needs healing or wants to heal. 
And sometimes we'll hold things in because we don't want to feel any of this darkness come up or pain. We don't want to feel that, so we repress it again. And you may not be in a place right now where you can express this stuff, or you may not feel safe, or it may be such a trigger that um, it just goes over the top. So I just want you to know that you can stop this anytime. If you need to process something and you need to go through a release, then just stop this and go to that safe place and be with yourself. Connect with you inside. So with that said, let's play this recording. We just recorded this today, and then I'll talk to you again shortly. Here it is. This is the first time I've ever had my girlfriend on the air as a guest. Her name's Asha. This is actually a serious subject. This is something that I've been wanting to talk about for a while because, quite frankly, uh, I call it the most silenced crime there is. And that might be statistically true. And uh, it has to do with child sexual abuse. And a lot of the stuff that I talk about, you know, honoring your personal boundaries, honoring your values, and uh, standing up for yourself and being authentic, a lot of this stuff are, are issues that abuse victims have gone through or have now. And I wasn't particularly sexually abused, but just the, the little bit amount of abuse that I went through caused some major problems in my life. So I think about uh, having a total violation of a sexual abuse for a child and think about how much worse it is for them. And I've, I've had clients that have been sexually abused. Uh, I know at least 10 people in my life, in my close circle of friends and family that have been sexually violated, sexually abused, and it, it has caused major problems. So we're just going to get right into this. And this is sort of an interview. And it's a little strange because I'm interviewing her. It's not like we're having a conversation at the table, although I want it to be that way. But I also have to make it into uh, something digestible for people to hear and, and also something that you can take away and go, okay, I learned something there. If you ever experienced any type of abuse, um, especially in this show, sexual abuse as a child or older, we want this episode to be at least uh, a component of your healing. And if it's not, maybe the start of your healing. And so, Asha, well, first of all, thank you for being on the show. I know this is kind of weird. <laughs> she's not saying anything. So what I will say is she's probably going to reveal some personal stuff about herself. <laughs> she's shaking her head. Probably not. <laughs> no, that's part of the process is that if you're not willing to reveal things personally, then it's much more difficult to heal as a person and... Um, you know, I personally have found that all of the really hard stuff with disclosure that some of it really intense and every time I think I'm good and then I have to take the next step, I have a meltdown first, mm. but everything for me, I'm very fortunate to have been called to do this project because everything that I've had to go through just to make it happen to first write the song and then to record the song and then to actually <laughs> Yeah, the recording. I had a major meltdown during the recording. Uh, you know, my producer said, I really need you to get in your heart. You're not there. And that was, I think I had just been really guarded about how deeply I dove in. And I dove in and I fell apart. I mean, it was embarrassing and um, painful. Heck, I didn't even remember until four years ago. I'm a grown adult, like a middle-aged adult, not a young adult. 
and I had completely blocked everything for the majority of my life. So you're talking about sexual abuse. Yes. Yes. How old were you? (sighs) Well, I was probably between two and three years old, maybe a little bit less. I'm not positive. All I know is, uh, the way it came back, it was clearly a very, very young child. Well, let me let me just frame this really quick before we get into this. The Fiona Project is a... I mean, you explain what the Fiona Project is because you were talking about making a song. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, tell, tell us what that is. So the Fiona Project is a project that I began originally just as the concept of a music video. Over time, as it evolved, it took me two years to get that music recorded with all the moving pieces and things that happened. It just kind of fell out that way. And so now what we're doing is attempting to use music as a means of getting this taboo subject, which is what I want to stop. I don't want it to be taboo anymore because that's why the kids are not safe because it's taboo. That's why survivors have a hard time healing because it's taboo. So the whole point of this project is to use music, which is a medium that people can digest three minutes, four minutes, whatever it is, and learn prevention tips. Yeah, I wanted to find out, or I mean, I know what the project is because, you know, we live together and we kind of talk about that kind of stuff. And you, (laughs) you lured me. If you don't, you're in big trouble. (laughs) (laughs) You lured me into playing at your concert. That's true. Because um, I was great. I was a hobbyist, a harmonica har- hobbyist, and um, up until like two months ago, Asha had never heard me play the harmonica ever. True. <laughs> I always played it in my car. I didn't want anybody to know what I sounded like, or you know, I thought I was great, but only in my own head. And as long as nobody else heard me, then I could keep that great status. I mean, I'm bringing this up as kind of a light thing because it's a heavy topic. So I don't want to make it all about, let's talk about your past. (laughs) But we started to get into something in your past, like the sexual abuse around two or three. Now, I want to say this before we go on. Childhood sexual abuse is one of those, I don't know what you call it, an atrocity that when it happens, not only is the person silencing the child at the moment, you know, don't tell anyone. I mean, whatever they say to them or however they coerce them and however they like what they call grooming, however they groom them into a submissive place or even if it's forced, they're taking something away from the child at that moment and also silencing them sometimes for life. I mean, this is my own personal opinion. I don't know how Asha feels about that as well. But when I see people that have been through this, there's just a big part of them that they will not show the world. I see it as their childhood is ripped away from them. And then on top of all that, they're made to feel ashamed. They're made to feel guilty for something they had no control over when they were a child. Children are innocent and this act rips it away. And then adults don't believe them when they speak up. And we're going to talk about all this stuff. So I want to ask you, Asha, you know, I know some of these facts, but I want I want to hear it in your voice. And I don't think I've ever actually interviewed you like this. So it's like I said, it's kind of a strange thing but to do. But, you know, this is this that's is okay. a neat conversation, too. And no, it is neat. That. And that's the thing, you know, that's the whole point. You, you hit on it earlier. 
you said, well, I want to make light of this. I'm talking about harmonica because I want to make light of it. I'd like to rephrase that. It's not that we want to make light of the situation. It's not, well, yes and no. We want to make light in, in terms of shining a light on it. Mm. We don't want to turn it into a joke. That's not the point. But it doesn't have to be this huge, heavy thing. For survivors, it is huge and heavy until they work through it. I feel better now than I've ever felt in my entire life. I had symptoms all along. I had major problems. I had depression, suicidal thoughts, uh, drugs, alcohol, just uh, very promiscuous. I said at the concert, I've had STDs five times in my life. That is not normal. That does not happen. And it's not because I wasn't trying to be careful either. You know, it's because I was choosing people that lied and manipulated and I had major intimacy problems. I had sexual problems, just all kinds of stuff. And, you know, on the video, which I hope some of you will watch after this show, I say at the end, child sexual abuse follows survivors through their entire life until they get help. And for me, you know, and for the people that I know, and I know a lot of survivors at this point, you can bury that stuff, but it's in there. And I don't think you're ever truly free until you look it in the face and you have to be willing to accept that that happened to you. And a lot of people, it's hard to even accept it because maybe you don't want to be the victim, right? We don't want to be the victim. I spent my life trying not to be the victim. But what that made me was cold, disconnected, a rescuer, you know, all kinds of other things that were not all that helpful. And because if we accept it, then we have to grieve that loss and feel the pain. So really acknowledge acceptance, grieving. You have to grieve that loss and be able to find that child part that was wounded. And you brought up young children. My passion is for young children, but let's not discount so many teenagers and preteens out there. You know, they're starting to develop and maybe that doesn't even matter because anybody who's attracted to children, you know, they're not looking for a developed body anyway, but it happens not only to little children, but it also happens to 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, even 16 years old. I know a woman who um, was violated from seven to 17, mm. you know, because once you're in it, you don't know how to get out and you don't have anybody to help. And lots of these people, these kids, they try to tell their family and you'd be amazed how many parents, uh, the parent that's not doing it, they, they don't want to know. They don't want to hear it. It's their spouse. It's their, you know, whatever, their brother, their father, mother, who knows, uh, their best friend, they can't deal with it and it, it doesn't go well. That's one of the most shocking statistics I've seen is a parent not believing, or I think about the parent who goes into denial. That's like the ultimate neglect. I'm going into denial because I can't handle the fact that you're a victim, that you're being abused. And I, I know there are people out there that have gone through this. I know people personally that have been in that denial. And I know there's pain in, in that. I know there's pain and denial. There's, you don't want to face the worst possible thing that you could possibly hear. So this denial is a self-protection mechanism. Exactly. Definitely. And, and it's scary to think that, you know, the child, she needs or he needs uh, someone to help them. But the person that can help them can't. Can't. Really can't. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's and it's tough. I'm not putting blame on anyone. There are atrocities in the world that we just don't want to know about, that we just can't accept. That's another thing. It's almost like we're wired in some ways to not accept something so bad that just so that we can move on to the next day. I think that's where a lot of people go, is that I just can't accept this. If that's true, then my life is over, then everything I know, my reality is crushed. And I don't know what to believe anymore, I don't know where to go, and they themselves feel unsafe. Well, not even just unsafe, but I mean, that means they have to take responsibility. Some of my friends who were sexually abused, their children ended up being sexually abused and they didn't know it. And they kicked themselves like, how did I not know this? It happened to me. I should have known. But we do the best we can. And and some people's best is more helpful than others. And, you know, it's easy to be angry at your parents. It's easy to be angry at the people who didn't help you. And it's understandable. And, you know, one of the things that I think is important is no feelings are inappropriate. If you're angry, you're angry. If you're sad, you're sad. And usually anger comes before sad. Sad and pain is much harder to get to than the anger. But every feeling is valid. But we don't want to stay in that place of anger and pain. Mostly blame and and anger long term. Not because we're letting somebody else off the hook. But because we need to let ourselves off the hook. And the longer we hold on to that, the more detrimental it is. You know, a lot of people, especially if they're of a religious background, they will tell you, you must forgive, you must forgive, you must forgive. You know, I don't agree with that. And the people that I work with, we tend to agree that, you know, forgiveness is a process and it's something that takes time. And you certainly don't do it for the other person because you can't control them and you can't help them. That's not your business. Your business is to heal and to get better. And when you're ready... You will forgive, but I think most forgiveness comes back to self-forgiveness. You know, I bludgeoned myself. My whole life I spent, it's so funny because I did not remember anything until I was about 40. And then it was really hard because it was very surreal and very difficult to believe. But then I start going back and connecting the dots and it's like, oh my God, but it makes sense of all of these things that I could not explain. And, um... The forgiveness thing, I spent my whole life, even not remembering, proving that I was a smart, that I was smart. I was a smart girl. And when it started to surface, what I realized was I should have been smarter. I knew the first memory I had was of a time with my uncle and I should have been smarter. I could feel it when it came back to me. I could feel I knew something was wrong. But here's this person who I had, according to my grandmother and my mother, I had adored when I was little. I would brush his hair. You loved your Uncle Jim. So you want to say, well, he's a bad person. He's a good person. He was a sick person. Honestly, I have no malice against him. I don't. I don't forgive him because I don't need to forgive him. It was not an offense to be forgiven. He was sick. He's not well. Healthy people don't do those things to kids. And he had major problems. Now, did that make the pain and the lifelong baggage that I carried into every relationship? My body didn't work right in intimate relationships and intimate moments when I should be, even with people I trusted, when I should be relaxed and vulnerable and accepting and open. And I couldn't be any of those things. It's taken me two years to 
relax in those situations. And I never understood why. Now I know why, you know, so I'm having to relearn how to be in relationship and relearn how to share my feelings. I've never shared my feelings. If they were too personal, I would just stuff it and, you know, go on. So I'm having to learn all these things about safety. And I couldn't put it all together until I started remembering. Creating safety, I did it by shutting down and closing things off and out. The song says, Fiona the Renegade. I was the renegade. I was trouble when I was a teenager. But now I'm, I'm wanting to be that whole, healthy, feminine, powerful, but vulnerable person. And I've spent the last four years of my life working, more years than that, but working with this newfound knowledge and working with safe people and healthy people that I attract now to be more of all of those things. And, and it's working out quite well. <laughs> you face the world alone, an angry and desperate child turned renegade. Welcome home. You talked about some pretty private stuff. You said you had like, what, five STDs? Yeah, that's not normal. That's not right. The first pap smear I ever had, I was 16 years old. I went to get birth control pills because just in case I wanted to have sex, I wanted to be prepared. I was a smart girl. I wasn't going to throw away my life. And I had never, ever, ever, ever had unprotected sex. And the first time I went to the doctor, my parents didn't know. I went with a friend because I knew they would not be happy. My mother was very religious and everything was taboo. Sex was taboo. I mean, this is why it's so important to make this not taboo. Because anytime you have something that's taboo, people don't talk about it. And then there's shame. I grew up thinking, oh, my body is dirty. And, you know, well, you know what? You watched me go through this the other day. I couldn't figure out why I had um, anger at my mother. And I, it was, I couldn't figure out why. And I knew that there was this anger underneath in there somewhere. And I kept having this feeling like she knew. Did she know? Uh, you know, I, I, it was just feelings. It gets confusing sometimes. Yeah. And I realized that when I was little, my body was dirty. I used to have terrible yeast infections at six, seven years old, and they would not go away. I had an STD the first time I ever went to the doctor. Well, why do you think that is? I've been raped by a child molester when I was young and never got help. Because my parents didn't know. This is why I'm so, and you can hear it in my voice now, this is why I'm so passionate about this. It doesn't have to happen like this. It doesn't have to be this way. If survivors get their stuff together and work on themselves and grab the bull by the horns and say, I am going to do whatever it takes to heal. I don't care what it is. I am doing this and I'm doing it for me and I'm doing it for every other child on the planet that has to go through this it's important that we heal you can bury it but it will come back and it will come back and it will come back and i feel healthy powerful sexual sensual relaxed i still have work to do I still have some emotional intimacy problems. I still have an inclination to hide things and I have to work hard to say my feelings. But since I have remembered, I have come a thousand degrees different. I 
have amazing people in my life. I value myself. I'm even learning to express my music and feel confident in that. And this is all, everything is a result of being able to understand and to heal. And I've used personally, I've used emotion codes. I've used alchemical hypnosis. Like when, after my first flashback, I was shaking. I couldn't talk. I couldn't look anybody in the eye. I was messed up bad. So you were saying that um, your parents uh, never knew. So what was that like when you finally shared this, uh, what must have been shocking information? I'll be honest, my dad's response when I told him, I had to tell them last year because I was going to do a video that had a PSA at the end announcing this stuff. And I did not want them to find out on Facebook that I said I was a survivor of sexual abuse. I needed to tell them in advance so that they had time to process and they knew what was coming and they could prepare. And, you know, my dad's reaction was, well, if you care at all about your music, I would suggest that you never tell anyone. Boy, that lit my fire. That was probably the perfect thing to say because I thought, you know what? And that is exactly why I'm doing this. Because that is the mentality that we need to stop. You know, as long as society doesn't want to hear it or you feel that there's some shame on you because this terrible thing happened to you, you know, you already feel bad enough. It's like being raped or mugged or robbed or any other kind of victimization. You know, if you can't just say, wow, this happened to me and society can't hear it, what's happening is we're setting it up so that the kids can feel that it's unsafe to tell. So when we start Listening as non-survivors and being okay with the uncomfortability, which requires growth on everyone's part. This is a personal growth show. Being okay with the fact that something bad happened to somebody you know. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to change it. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to hold their hand. You don't have to offer help. You don't have to do anything. Just let it be what it is. And as a survivor, to be willing to take the reins and do the work, even if that's one tiny, itty-bitty little moment at a time. And for some of us, it is. Or whether that's leaps and bounds and just having had enough and digging in because you know that's your freedom. I could not have had a quality relationship that I have now and the level of relationship that I wanted if I hadn't looked at this. And that's what launched all this. And when survivors are willing to say, you know what? I'm not going to carry the shame of somebody else's shameful action. This happened to me. It's part of my life. It's part of who I am. And it affected my life, but it does not control my destiny, who I become, what I can do, what I can't do. And there is no shame on me. And I refuse to carry someone else's stuff as my own. And when we do that and we speak very matter of factly, we are setting the example for the children. Because the children are silenced by their shame because of the taboo around the conversation. So this is going to stop. It's going to decrease. It will never be completely eliminated, I don't think. But boy, we will have a lot better chance of protecting our kids and healing and even adult survivors starting to feel free. My freedom has definitely been, every step of disclosure has been, 
absolute <laughs> trauma pretty much yeah. like getting through it doing that PSA I was melting down because I was so afraid and I guess not ashamed but afraid of all these people don't know me like this and all those people from home all my old friends they live a thousand miles away and my family they're all going to start thinking well she's lying or who did this I mean there's going to be all this rumor mill of small townville chaos you're talking about the, the public service announcement after, yeah. after the video yeah where, and, where you sit there and go yeah i'm a survivor yeah. this happened to me yeah and what you're talking about now everything that you just said is along the lines or right in line with this entire message of standing up and being authentic and yeah. being real and expressing yeah i mean this is all in line with my show too it's like yeah expressing everything who you are what you've been through not hiding it saying this is what happened to me it doesn't define me right it's what happened to me and so many people are are stuck they don't want to get to that by saying that it's almost as if they are admitting shame when the shame shouldn't be on you it should be on the other person yeah they should feel ashamed the guilt should not be on you. It should be on the other person. They're guilty. Right. They're the ones who did it to you. Right. But because you were a child or any time before now, there was a part of you that believed what they told you, like, you're wrong. You're going to submit. It's not even, it's not even necessarily like that. Lots of times it's not usually going to be some forceful rape violence like on the street as adults. It's 90% of the time going to be someone that the child knows and trusts or is trusted by their family. Someone close, a parent, a friend, a babysitter, a relative, a neighbor. It's going to be somebody that has gained trust with the child and with the family. All I ever heard about is how I love my Uncle Jim and I would spend hours, you know. And all I remember is I was always creeped out by him. I couldn't stand him. I didn't want to be anywhere near him. I thought he was slimy and gross. And I would never stand closer than arm's length to him. I just couldn't do it. I remember being a teenager playing pool in my basement and my uncle Jim was there and talking to myself and saying, why can't I be nice to him? Why can I not be nice to this man? What's he ever done to me? Well, yeah. little did I know he had done something, but I didn't remember it until a flashback when I was about 40 years old. I went and had my session with that lady that I that had helped me with other things. And I got there and I'm like, I must be making this up. This is a lie. I, this can't be true. I, I don't understand this. And, and I don't know where this came from, but I could not function. And she looked at me and I remember her saying, you can't even look at us. You can't look anyone in the face. You, you can't raise your eyes above the floor. And this is completely normal. For someone who's been through it. Yes, because the shame is so intense. It was just so hard. And then I go back and I looked at the discharge and the yeast infections and all the things that happened to me when I was little. Or even just the other day, I realized that I had looked at some forms of sex as dirty because maybe because I was dirty when I was little. Because I had chronic problems. But I just thought that that was just me and I was just dirty. But really, I had been abused. It was my body's self-defense mechanism. And when I was in a sexually abusive relationship as an adult, whenever that person would come near me and I would allow them to have sex with me, I would get a yeast infection mm -hmm. with that one person. Mm -hmm. 
And, and this was in a committed relationship that I was in. That was my body doing the same thing it did when I was six, saying, get them away from me, get them away from me. Maybe it's, they won't want to come near with me if I'm dirty. I don't know. But, and then my whole life I had thoughts of, well, sex is dirty. Sex is dirty. I can't do that. I can't do this. I can't be open with that. That's just wrong. Well, it wasn't talked about in my house. It was very religious. It was very taboo. And, and sex is dirty because I was dirty. So all these realizations are coming together and I can understand why I had so many problems, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, but I didn't know what was normal because that was my life until my girlfriend says, no, you don't have discharge at age six. You don't have those things don't happen. What? What are you talking about? Right. And this is the one of the biggest problems or challenges that any survivor has to go through is that the body has a function called reproduction, called sex, called all of this stuff that are made for reproduction, made for enjoyment and actually are normal. So even as a child and that starts developing, these are normal functions of the body that someone else is now taking advantage of Mm -hmm. and now mixing Mm -hmm. this normal, wonderful function with pain and abuse and Mm -hmm. violations of all sorts. And how could it not then be redefined as dirty, as bad, as as a problem in your life? So I see this uh, in a lot of people where they can't even enjoy something so normal and healthy because it was tainted when they were younger and there is a path out of that there's a beyond to that you can enjoy this if you are having a challenge with that you can get beyond this this whole project is about healing helping survivors prevention, um, prevention and stopping the taboo number one and stop stopping the taboo. the taboo and uh one other thing that i want to mention before we wrap some of this up is that one of the best things that you can do if anyone comes up to you and mentions any type of sexual violation is not overreact, is not jump into, oh my God, what what did he do? And then get angry or do any of that. I honestly believe that's probably one of the worst things that you can do because what it does is exacerbates their fear of coming forward. Yeah. And almost makes it worse to the point where you actually might silence them. Especially children. Especially children. You cannot overreact with children because they are testing the waters to see if it's safe to say more. And if you have any kind of reaction, and and keep in mind, it's somebody they know and they may even love. And they don't want to have anything bad happen to that person. Right. So they're not going to tell you if you react, they're going to just clam up. And even kids um, sometimes will even... If you lash out against the person that did it to them and they're close to that person or were close to that person, they might even recant, although that's, you know, less common, but they'll just shut down. There's a hotline. If you do ever suspect that a child's being harmed, it's 1-800-4-A-CHILD and they will help you find a local group to help you, somebody to help the child. If the child does need to be looked at by somebody, by a professional They keep this all very child-centered. So keep your eyes open and be willing to step in because an innocent adult can always be exonerated, but a child can never be unraped. Mm. Well, that's a good way to close this up. And all these links and resources that you're talking about can be found on thefionaproject.org. Yep, and Fiona is F-I-O-N-A. Great. And the video 
Yes. Where can they find? Can they find that at the, also at the Fiona Project org? Or? Yep, just go to our website, thefionaproject.org. The video is on the main page. Share our video. Also, if you like music, you can request a concert in your area. You can host a concert, or you can volunteer to be a musician at a concert. And uh, you know, we're looking for spirituality centers, community centers, house concerts, um, even bands that that want to bring this to light at one of their events and donate any portion. We'll put you on our event calendar and really make a difference in making this easy and fun. Yeah. And the, the video itself, I, I'd like to express that the most important is to share it with as many people as you possibly can. So you go to the website and there's a little share buttons below that. That's so vital because if you watch it and you get something from it and then you just go on with your day that's not how this works. I mean, right. how it works is that you share it with someone else who will get something from it too. Because we sit alone. We can either sit alone and be quiet in whatever feelings that we're having, or we can start to put ourselves out there start to connect with other people. This is what Asha is doing. She's connecting with other survivors and non-survivors, friends of survivors, family of survivors. Yeah. Because I guarantee you that you are either one of three, a survivor, a friend, or a family member of a survivor. Definitely. And you probably you may not know it. One thing I like about the video, i got to wrap this up, okay. is that it allows you to connect with a part of yourself. Uh, the music is amazing. The video is well done. It's professionally made. It will absolutely uh, bring you to an emotional space and help you connect and also inspire you. So I, I encourage you to go to the FionaProject.org, watch the video, be moved, and start healing today. Or allow someone else a safe place so that they can heal or express to you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll be right back. Say some thank yous, and then we'll say goodbye to Asha right after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I'm so glad you stuck around and got a chance to listen to Asha. If you're a survivor or know of one, Reach out to her and share your story or ask questions and definitely watch the music video. You'll get to hear a part of the song as the show closes. It's called Fiona and the music itself is powerful, but wait till you see the video. Thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain. And finally, I want to thank Asha. You know, it takes a lot of guts to say some of the things that she said today. The more you're able to come from that authentic place and speak about what you may be holding on to, the easier it gets to talk about, uh, but also process, and it gives you a chance to start releasing. There is a path to healing. And as we close the show, I'm going to play you the final part of our talk. It's only like uh, four minutes long, but I didn't want to leave it out because uh, we talk about how to respond when someone you know is you know, going through their stuff, you know, when they're having a flashback or an episode or they're really, really upset about something that happened. It could make all the difference in their healing and releasing, so I hope it helps you too. Here are the final few minutes. You are amazing. Talk again soon. When I moved in and you had a couple episodes of, you know, reliving or flashbacks or things like that, there was one thing I wanted to do to make sure that this did not get re-repressed, which was allow it to happen. Don't question it. You did allow it to happen. Just yes. allow it to happen. And also give her that safe place to express whatever she needed to express. And just be in that moment. 
I recommend don't try to stop her. Like, what's going on? Oh, no, let me absolutely. let me placate you. Are you okay, honey? Are you okay? That would and give terrible. Her, right. Give her a big hug and say, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Totally not do that. I, I saw it start. I saw a couple episodes start. When I saw it start, I would be like, I step back and like, all right, I'm here if you need me. And that's the energy I put out there. And these were terrible. What he's referring to were terrible physical flashback episodes that that came up after particularly I had just noticed wow what a nice intimate experience and how loving and what life could be like and I had never experienced that before so my guard was way down I was very tired and for me pain in the body ironically I I even um, when I was going to the chiropractor and some reflexology pain in the body would trigger some of the stuff coming up anyway if you had been too uncomfortable to allow me to have that experience and that evening I had no sound and I had no visual but my whole body relived this is how I know what happened to me when I was two I think it's important to share so I hope you can work this in Mm -hmm. my body relived I know exactly what happened to me because I could feel my throat feel like it was going to explode and it was terrifying. I, I, I say it probably looked like something off The Exorcist. I was... This was a flashback. Yes, but it's physical regression yeah. flashback. And it yeah. was terrible. And if you had stopped it, that would have been repressed for who knows how long. And I might never have gotten to it. So only I have to give you credit because becoming healthy enough for me to be in a relationship where I've been attracted to and attracted to me, someone who is very healthy and safe which is very different from my previous relationships has put me in a position where my psyche and subconscious and body and everything that is could allow that to unfold because I guarantee you I don't well I can't guarantee but I can say strongly that I feel like that would never have happened if I didn't feel safe and if I wasn't in a position with the tools and the people that could could support me in processing that so it's been a very long process but that was absolutely instrumental and if you had not been okay with me having to go through that it would have stopped and that would have been that and who knows where i would be today so thank you welcome home fiona victim of selfish love you face the world alone fearful and wounded child years gone by you face the world alone an angry and desperate child